So today I want to get right at it. I, I want us to focus on um, this passage of desert or wilderness, the in-between that we've been talking about. And I'd like to uplift some truth that I think we find in God's Word today. And what does it mean for crosswalk? What does it mean for Christians? Now, you notice I've got on a, a patriotic tie today. Today, we have God and Country tonight. It's a great celebration. I hope many of you will be there. You won't be uh, disappointed. And, and, and you know what I like about our church is a few days before the country gets so absorbed in July the 4th and our celebration of our independence, our church, just a few days before, says, let's just stop and thank God for what God has given us in the gift of this country. You see, it puts things in what I believe are the proper perspectives. It, it, it puts our attention on God, whom we worship, and says to God, thank you, God, for all the things you've given us. And especially this time of year, we thank you for our country. So it's not a worship of country. It's a worship of God. And it's a celebration of country. Isn't that the way it should be? So today, we're going to focus on God and country. Via Moses and the Ten Commandments and the nation that God had given him in the nation of Israel, the Hebrew children, to lead into a promised place. So I want to turn our attention quickly this morning to the story uh, that, that uplifts the, the giving of the Ten Commandments. You know, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and the burning bush and all of that and the, the cloud and, that, that covered uh, all of the essence of what was going on. And Moses not only getting the Ten Commandments, but, uh, but, but God speaking to Moses about a lot of other laws that were important. And so from the beginning, the Judeo-Christian people are a people of laws. And we're a people that understand that God wants us to break the cycle and, of, of egocentrism and focus us on what it means to love God and what it means to love neighbor. And that's how the Ten Commandments break out. The first half of those commandments are about love of God. The second half of those commandments are about how we love and be with one another in community. So I'd like to ask us to stand out of honor of God's words. And I'm not going to read the entire 20th chapter of Exodus. I just want us to focus on those first five verses and the first two commandments. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And now continue to stand. I want us to turn over to... What happened when the people took matters into their own hands in the 32nd chapter of Exodus? And what happens in the meantime between the 20th and the 32nd chapter of Exodus is there are a lot of laws that are given. Instructions on how to love God, how to love neighbor, how to be in community. 
But Moses was gone from the people for several days, many days. And the people started thinking about how things were in Egypt, not only the food thing that we've talked about in the last few weeks. They started thinking about how worship was in Egypt, and they wanted to go back to that day. And so the 32nd chapter of Exodus, we're going to read the first few verses. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them and formed it into a mold and cast an image of a calf, and they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, this golden calf. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. What was he thinking? So they rose early the next day, and they offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to revel. And the Lord said to Moses, You go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, they acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's be, let's be seated. Now, what does this story, this one-two punch of the commandments and the breaking of the commandments, say to us, it, I think first it says to us, is it needs to teach us about breaking a cycle. For we are a people who from time to time follow the ways of God and find ourselves falling from those ways, don't we? We are a people who, who perhaps have sat here and we've read this story about how Aaron basically did what the people wanted and he he led to that construction of the golden calf, and we say, you know, we would never do that. We could never see ourselves bow, bowing to an idol, especially a little golden calf that has to be dusted off. And the swallows and the bats, they come and they light on it, and then you have to do more than dust. And if the little golden calf falls over, he can't pick himself up. You have to pick him back up. Uh, and, 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 and so we think, this is so ridiculous. The people of God, how could they have been so stupid? And then we have to deal with the reality that this bowing to idols thing is not just about a golden calf or graven images. It's a spiritual matter. A spiritual matter that we need to take quite seriously because the, the cycles that take us away from God need to be broken in our own lives as well. And only God can help us do that. So when we're talking about the, the idols being a spiritual matter, uh, idols feed 
our, our cycle of egocentrism or, or living as if the world revolves around me. So this morning, I want, to, I want to talk about a few things this morning. But I want to talk first about what I think is a basic understanding of idolatry that we need to hear loudly and clearly this morning. Idolatry is bowing at the altar of making our means or our desires into ends or gods. Idolatry is, is making our means or our desires into ends or our gods. Now, let, let me just give you an illustration of this. For there are a lot of things that we could see as means that sometimes we, we elevate to that place of being ends. And therefore, idolatry has set in. But let's just talk about worship itself. When the means or our desires become the ends of the object of worship, then idolatry has set in. You know, it's a good thing when we gather for worship. And here at Lover's Lane, we have a lot of different options for worship. We believe that one worship size doesn't fit all. Thanks be to God. Amen. It makes things a lot more exciting for the preacher. <laughs> but you know, I've heard through my 37 or so years of ministry, people taking the very aspect of worship of God and forgetting about it being the end and starting to uplift things like the way we worship, the kind of music we sing or the way we sing the music, or, or whether we have this kind of liturgy or that kind of liturgy or what we do with the holy sacraments. I've seen people get so um, worked up about whether we have screens in the sanctuary. Y'all are over that in here. That all of a sudden you realize that the very worship of God has been substituted for the means that lead us to the ends of worship. And the thing that has become the dominant conversation has been the means. And idolatry has set in. You know, I've seen people get so in love with a particular building or holy ground that they think that that's the only place God lives. Y'all are over that in here too. But you know, there, there, there's some folk who think, you know, this is such a sacred space to me. If anything ever happened to this space, then I don't know if, 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 if what I do with myself, I don't know if I can worship. You know, when I was in uh, my early 30s in Houston, Texas, I was at First United Methodist Church downtown. We had this gorgeous sanctuary. It was an old-style, Akron-style sanctuary, old stained-glass windows. It was about a 100-year-old building. But the church was 150 years old because it had moved four times in its history. But everybody had forgotten that. This was the only sanctuary they knew, and it was so beautiful. The largest uh, pipe organ west of the Mississippi, we used to say. 14,000 members, the largest United Methodist Church at that time in the connection. And we were bringing in 600 people a year. I mean, I, I knew that because I was in charge of evangelism. I was in charge of those new members and professions of faith and baptisms. 
But I also knew that though we were bringing about 600 people a year in, that about 600 people were finding their way to the back door, some of whom we didn't even know anymore. And when you looked at the people who were joining, they were all empty nesters or retirement age who wanted to make that drive downtown so they could hear the beautiful music in this beautiful place. And this was just a taste of heaven. And we had failed to be attractive to families with kids and youth. And, and that concerned our pastor, so he hired a consultant. That, and the consultant studied us and studied us and studied us. And I taught a Sunday school class called the Adelphi class, and we had 350 members. There were about 175 or 200 on a given Sunday. And I'm telling you, they loved their class. They loved their class so much that they really got evangelism. They didn't want it to become just an ingrown family. They wanted new people to join the Adelphi and be a part of this 40-year history of this great class and invite and invite and friendship evangelism was going on. Everybody who went to the Adelphi class at 9.30 either went to the early worship service or the late worship service. And when the word got out that the consultant had decided that if we really wanted to grow, we would not only be a church downtown, but we would have a west campus 14 miles from downtown, and we would build a second congregation out there. I'm telling you, there were some angry campers. And a lot of them were right there in my Sunday school class. Because I was given that project too. And, and I think my Sunday school class was thinking, oh no, they're, they're going to change our church, you know, the church that we love. I mean, what are we going to do if the pastor preaches out west at, nine, uh, at, at the early service and those of us who go to the early service, we're not going to hear the pastor. And what's it going to mean for Stan if he's going to start the worship service out there? Is he going to still teach our class? And We want things the way it's always been. And we don't care if we grow anymore. We, we, just wanna, we just want things the way they are. And then worship. And all worship is about lifting God and lifting love of neighbor and evangelism. Loving people into relationship with Jesus Christ and into the fellowship of the church. They lost sight of that because they were consumed with being the way they'd always been. That's idolatry. And you know, we can also talk about idolatry and this maybe uh, hits a little closer to home and, and, and idolatry can also be when, when we focus on the things that we love instead of the, the person of God or taken a little, a little further down the road when those things become more important not only than the person of God but become more important than persons that God has given us to love and we dehumanize one another You know, when things become the gods we worship, we know that we're in the midst of idolatry. You know, it's no wonder that Jesus talked so much about giving it away. It's no wonder that when he saw that rich young ruler, he knew that rich young ruler's idolatry was his stuff. And he, he said in answer to the rich young ruler, um, you know, what do I do to follow you, Lord? And the Lord said, oh, that's easy, just give it all away. It's not easy. Jesus said more about giving it away than anything else except for love. 
He says, if, if it's causing you to sin, then pluck it out. If it's causing you to think that you can't live without it, cut it off. Because Jesus knew how prone we are as human beings to worship at the altar of things. And, and the final altar that I want to bring up this morning, or, or, or form of idolatry that we can slip into, is the idolatry of, of ourself. You know, some translations of this verse, the second, the, the second commandment verse that says, do not make for yourself an idol, there are some translations that say, do not make of yourself an idol. Now that is different, isn't it? So don't make for yourself an idol. Don't make of yourself an idol. And that one may hit a little closer to home with me. I don't know about you. But truth be known, we often think of ourselves and what we like and what we desire and what we need and what and what and what and what is all about me. And when we get to that point and when we really cut through the stuff, we realize that we've made a God of ourselves, even though we'd hate to admit that. Now, friends, in ending this message today, I want to take us to a place of not just thinking about yourself. Now, I hope you get this means and ends thing. The ends have to be what we worship, not the means. It has to be about God, right? And I hope you get this about things and the person of God and the people of God. It can't be about the things. It's got to be about the person of God and the persons. But when it comes to this egocentrism that we are all prone to, I think it's most important to look at our Judeo-Christian roots that say to us, it's not about you. It's about your neighbor. Oscar Romero, Central American bishop, assassinated years ago, wrote these words before he was killed. Dear brothers and sisters, do not betray your service to this ministry of God's Word. It is, it is very easy to be servants of the Word without disturbing the world in any way. You can spiritualize our words so they, that they lack any commitment to history. We can speak words that sound good in any part of the world because they say nothing about the world. Such words create no problems. They give rise to no conflicts. The word that characterizes the authentic church is the word that causes conflicts and even persecutions. It is the searing word of the prophets that announces and denounces. It announces the marvelous works of God so that the people will believe and worship God. And it denounces the sins of those who oppose God's kingdom. For a week now, or more, we've been captivated as a nation by this issue of immigration. 
Many of us have gone to sleep at night with the sobs of little children ringing in our ears. I've had several emails this week asking the question, what are we to do? What are we to do? I know what they mean. What are we as Christians in the Judeo-Christian tradition, as citizens who love this country and who know we're the greatest country in the world, what are we to do? This is a problem. Have you been there? Our bishops wrote a letter. I'm just going to read you two paragraphs. We're heartened to see President Trump sign an executive order today ending the administration's policy of separating families at the border. Furthermore, we commend him for taking this action and putting the needs of these children at the forefront. The humanitarian and moral crisis that has escalated over the past several weeks along our southern border has been difficult to fathom. Approximately 2,000 children have been separated from their parents attempting to apply for asylum or seeking safety from violence in their countries. Acknowledging the differences many persons have on matters of immigration and refugees, we call upon United Methodists to publicly witness regarding the plight and the conditions of these children. In other words... The bishops go on to say, we recognize this is a political hot potato. We recognize we're not all of the same mind politically, but can we at least get together on the children? And you know, I want to say to us today, as a patriotic, tie-wearing preacher, we're a great nation, but we're not a perfect nation. We may be the greatest nation in the world, but it's not that we are not without flaws. And our biggest flaw is that we can't seem, our politicians can't seem to work together to come up with common sense solutions to matters that are of our own making. If the ends is to have safe, secure borders, I want to add a Christian, a Judeo-Christian element to that. They need to be stranger-friendly, safe and secure borders. Because the number one mandate to those in the Judeo-Christian tradition is hospitality. The way we treat the stranger because we might be treating us an angel unawares. That's why over and over in the Bible, the, the Bible leads toward how we treat the stranger, how we treat the foreigner. And we got to hear that as Christians because remember God and country is about who we are as gods first and then as citizens, right? That's the proper perspective. So we as lovers of our country have to push forth these values. You know, the preacher downtown's got it wrong. We're not a Christian nation. We're not, we're not America of Christians. We are a nation of people of a lot of different faiths who have principles based on the Judeo-Christian heritage and values. That's different, and it's most important. What makes America great are the values and the principles based on our Judeo-Christian heritage that we uplift. And we're big enough to have Muslims and Buddhists and atheists and Christians, and everything in between, part 
of this country. Now let me say this. The problem at the border is in part a problem because there are too many people in this country who bow at the altar of opioids. And drug addiction in this country creates a market. And drug lords in Central America want riches and they want things and they get the market. And so they supply the market. And then other lords get in the midst of this and the next thing you know, you've got a war. You've got uh, these factions that are battling one another, these gangs. And guess who gets caught in the middle? It's the poor people and the children. And they see their uncles and their aunts Heads cut off, and they see all of this violence done to young women. They see every commandment you can speak of gets broken and defiled, disregarded. And these poor people find their way to our borders, and when they get here, the country that has the market, we don't know what to do but say, Go home. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or a Libertarian or an Independent. I only care that you're a Christian. I don't know what to do either. But I'm going to suggest that you start with God and country tonight. Or anything you can do today that will put you on your knees in essence thanking God for who God is this master of love who calls us to love all the children of the world and who has given us the gift of this great country and the values and the principles that undergird it and make it great and that you'll pray for our politicians and that you'll pray that God will intervene in ways beyond our own making and our own understanding because God is God. We don't have to make graven images. We don't have to make that which we worship. We worship a God who can change things and make them new. And I pray that when we hear those sobs of children, they don't become defeating to us, but motivating. Motivating us to prayer for our country. Prayer for those children and their families. And prayer that we can do the thing that is pleasing to God through means that are not about walls and not about cages and not about detention centers. For if those things become our gods, Lord have mercy. Amen.